welcome to Pure Worship Radio. This is Scott Cunningham along with my good friend Chaz Salaya. We'll be your host today as we highlight and interview various worship leaders and artists who love Jesus and are writing songs that both edify the church and glorify Christ. Our mission is to capture the story behind the songs and the heart behind the music. So thanks for joining us today. We pray that you're greatly encouraged by our time of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And today we have a very special show that was recorded at the School of Worship where we had the privilege of having Matt Redman and Jonas Myron sharing on the subject of songwriting. It was such a great session mm-hmm. and with such great insight that we want to share it here on Pure Worship Radio. Yeah, this was a day that we will probably never forget yeah. to have two song um, writers who have written almost like countless songs, yeah. uh, songs that, you know, I feel like the church is going to sing for many, many years. And, uh, and for them to carve out time to, you know, come and just really share like some meaty stuff. Yeah. I'm excited that we get to broadcast it yes. on the air now. Yes, me too. Yeah, th- these guys make time in their schedule on a regular basis. It's part of their rhythm of life and the routine to schedule time to write together. Yeah. We got a chance to uh, involve them in the school, which is so fun. Mm-hmm. And now we get to share it here today, which by the way, Matt Redman will be at the Calvary Chapel Worship Leaders Conference coming up November 6th through the 9th out at the Marietta Hot Springs Conference Center. Um, he's going to be leading and sharing there uh, at the conference. Really yeah. excited to have him this year. Yeah, it's going to be an amazing week. Yeah. So yeah, if, if you haven't um, looked in to that yet, we uh, encourage you to check out ccwc.org mm-hmm. and uh, look in to see if you could join us for those couple of days. Yeah, if you think about it too, all the songs that these guys have written um, are have really been the soundtrack of our faith for mm-hmm. so many years now, especially if you've been walking with the Lord for, for a number of years. Yeah. Um, they're just these powerful songs that uh, God's used to encourage the church uh, globally. Um, I think of songs uh, like 10,000 Reasons and you know, right. blessed be your name and mm-hmm. um, songs that are just going to just live on um, for years and years to come. And then you have Jonas Myram. That's uh, he's a he's a co-writer with a lot of guys. He might not be as uh, familiar of a name, but he's written some really amazing songs, co-written some songs that have really impacted the church, songs like Cornerstone and yeah. Our God. Um, so it's really fun to have these guys team up talking about songwriting together. Uh, they're both um, just great songwriters in their own right. So let's just jump into the session that we recorded at the School of Worship with Matt Redman and Jonas Myron talking about the subject of songwriting. Hello, everyone. Good morning. It's so great to get to hang and saw a couple of my English bros in the room. Where are you? There's one of them. It's fellow subjects of the Queen. <laughs> now, I brought, I brought a Swede with me. Any Have Swedes? you got any Swedes in the room? Oh. Uh, <laughs> Switzerland. Switzerland. To an American, that's pretty much the same thing. That's like it's so Jonas and I, we've been friends for a long time. He's godfather to one of my kids, and we've done a lot of life together and a lot of writing. And we, we just want to encourage you guys and um, I guess challenge you and encourage you and challenge and encourage ourselves as we speak. Because when it comes to this songwriting thing, and probably particularly worship songwriting, I think it's... You know, you can have written a few songs, but you can't become an expert. You know, if you're an accountant, I think you can show up every day in the office and you pretty much know how to do what you do. You know, you can repeat yesterday's success. Something went good, you figured it out, and then you go the next day and you can do it again. It's the weird thing with songwriting, and I think maybe particularly worship songwriting. It's kind of hard to do that. You can't write a song and then it seems to connect well and it's got some momentum to it and it's helpful to people in worship and then you 
you go in the next day, right, oh, that's cool, I'll do that again. You know, it doesn't really work like that. And a lot of you have figured that out already, right? Um, how many people in the room are uh, songwriters to some degree? I mean, is it? Oh, yeah, excellent. That's always helpful. Um, do, do we have any singers? Got the singers here? Got the singers here? Um, we, you know the old joke about them? You know when the singer's at your door, right? They can't find the key and they don't know when to come in. Um, <laughs> and they, uh, got any bass players here? How do you confuse a bass player? Show them the sheet music. Um, you know, you got uh, any, what have we got else here? Got any drummers? Have we got any drummers? Okay, it's firstly, this is a songwriting seminar, so. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's the old joke. How do you know when the drummer's gonna leave the band? He says, hey, guys, I've written this song. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's good to get in a room together. And, and um, you know, for me, I think I started songwriting because I needed to. I did, you know, I needed to find a way to talk to God. I had a real turbulent teenage years, and that's when I started picking up some guitar and trying to sing some songs we were singing at church because I found them helpful. I found them stabilizing you know I was going through a lot of stuff and a lot of crazy stuff happened in our family and with fathers and all sorts of things and, and I I just found it real um, it took me to a safe place it took me to a place of security when I sung these songs about who Jesus was and, and you know I figured out pretty early on that not only is the throne room of God a, a place of reverence but it's also a place of refuge it's a good place to hang out when everything else is breaking and shaking apart. And that could be true of our world, right? Everything is so disorientating, destabilizing sometimes. Whether it's something up close and personal in your life that hits you from nowhere, or, or whether it's just reading the news one day and seeing some of the tragic stuff going on around you, trying to make sense of it. And, you know, there he, there he is on his throne, as unshakable and unchanging. And, solid and secure, a firm foundation, solid ground for anyone who come there. And, you know, it's a good place to go, isn't it? To, to uh, find reassurance and, and uh, strength and, and hope. And, you know, I've realized that I don't really understand why, but when you get it right with a song, it can go so deep into people's lives and it can take with it joy and hope and peace and reassurance and it, you can literally change someone's life. You could pull someone back from the brink of suicide with a worship song. You can give someone a, a, a hope that wasn't there before by a biblical worship song. You, you can pull back people back from the brink in so many different ways just through helping them sing some unchanging truth in a relevant, poetic, maybe congregational way. You know, and for me, so I got into it because I needed to. I needed to sing these songs. I needed to find my way to the place of praise and through these little prayers and things, simple songs. But then I, when I started doing it, I realized this really helps people. When it goes right, this is so worth investing in. This is, and I love it. Um, I'm quite old now. You know, when I started doing this, there weren't a whole lot of people around me taking it seriously. But now I go all around the world and find young people all over the world taking the art of songwriting seriously, taking the, the challenge of writing a, a, a song that reflects God in a beautiful and biblical way 
for the saints to sing uh, in a real serious way. And I love that. I love that you guys are taking time out in your life, you know, uh, for this whole thing and, the, and learning, you know, about worship and learning how to express that through music and song and sound. and It's awesome. Um, so I guess at the end of the day, we all start at that place of um, he died for me upon a tree at Calvary when he was 33. You know, do you know what I mean? And it's like we probably all start there, right? And, and then the challenge is how do we move on from that? There's nothing even wrong with that. I've, you know, as long as there's some heart in stuff, as long as there's nothing like that contradicts the word of God in there, that's a good start, right? You know, so um, a lady called Marva J. Dawn said, we may never sing the whole truth, but we must never sing untruth. You're not going to be able to sum God off in a song. You're not going to be able to fully do justice to the glory of who he is, but don't ever sing anything that's untrue or made up. Um, and, you know, so we kind of start there. And I've hardly, I mean, I've never really heard a terrible song. I did, I, I make one exception, okay? I mean, I've heard... This one song I heard got sent in to me in my in church office. It's on a little cassette tape. You've probably never even seen one of those. It's like, I think you maybe can get them in, uh, what's that shop called, that fashion shop? Urban, Urban Outfitters. Thank you. That's why I brought him. Uh, and, uh, but you've probably never seen right. I got this cassette tape, landed in my office on my desk, and it's, you know, I probably should have realized straight away it was my band setting me up. And sending in a, jo a joke, uh, some made-up worship songs, because this the second song was called Pharaoh was a little fat man, so probably the clue was at that point, okay, this isn't real, and the chorus of that one went rain down curses, rain down curses upon them. Again, it's a clue in there somewhere, right? But um, you know that's probably the only really ultimately terrible worship songs I've ever heard. They they made up these songs to see what if I would respond to them and encourage them, you know. Uh, but I've heard a lot of unfinished songs, and they weren't terrible, but they, were, they just didn't feel like they were finished. They weren't crafted. They weren't wrestled with. They weren't shaped. They weren't contended for. And I could hear heart in there, and I could see truth in there. But, and I've probably written a lot of unfinished songs, to be honest. And, um, but why I want us to aim high and stretch ourselves and sharpen each other in this pursuit of songwriting is because, like I said, when it goes right, it brings life. It brings so much life. And um, just want to drop a few thoughts on you today. Hopefully it stirs something out. I know Jonas wants to do that too, and then, and then we'll do some Q&A. Um, a few little tensions that we live in. So I've already said we live in this tension of there he is, so glorious and incomprehensibly magnificent and totally off the charts of, of reason, you know, and, and just so... Uh, beyond words, right? But, but then here we are with our little songs. We've got to try and point to him and convey him and speak of him in an honoring way in our songs, in our little songs. I think sometimes we don't even start with a head start in this culture because, you know, if you look way, way back to the Old Testament, you know, even before the person got into the temple or the tabernacle, certain things about the way it looked was leading them uh, to a great God. And then when they got in there, the, the, the way the whole thing was laid out and the, the furniture in there, the furnishings, the, um, all the adornings, they spoke of splendor and, 
magnificence and holiness and the whole way you approached God, it's, it informed you about who it was you're coming before. So there's like a head start for the worshiper, right? And then maybe you just look back a few hundred years, you've got these cathedrals, and, you know, and they used to build these things and to the glory of God. And, you know, you get in a cathedral and it's just so massive. It speaks of grandeur and wonder maybe, and, and you feel small and, you know, and it's, there's something helpful about the clues it's giving you about who it is you're coming before. Now, in today's culture, here we are, I stood up with my little acoustic guitar and, you know, I've got to somehow find a way to talk of a God who's high and holy, a God who's, you know, kind of out of reach and yet reached down to us. Right? I've got to find a way to do that. And, and, and not only do I not have that massive terrifying organ that can you know some of the I went into Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris once and they were playing this music it was like put the fear of God in me it was amazing like the power it had and I don't have the big cathedral space maybe but not only that right but but also I'm in a culture where there's no reverence anymore you know the respect and reverence have kind of been diluted and there's uh not a whole lot of sense of mystery anymore, right? You know, the, the, but without mystery, there's no worship because mystery leads us into wonder and wonder leads us to worship. And you, you need those things in the equation. Otherwise, you know, you can appreciate, uh, applaud, maybe even adore someone without a sense of wonder, but you can't worship without wonder. It has to have that sense of he's not like us. He's, you know, we're dealing with something different here. And, and so... Somehow, in our culture, that's where we're going against the grain. And in a time where even musically, these things don't start on 10 when it comes to speaking of magnificence and leading to awe, we've got to find a way to do it. Musically, you know, with sounds, and probably above all with words, maybe also visually, right, as well. I mean, just as a little aside, I think we underuse the visual stuff. You know, the, the Hubble telescope is the worship leader's most helpful tool in the last 50 years, probably, right? There it is, out beyond the distorting effects of the Earth's atmosphere, and we're seeing things that mankind's never seen. And we're seeing beauty and wonder and order and uh, the greatest creativity, you know, in the universe. And, and you know, we're seeing these um, stars, which are... Turns out, you know, they're millions of degrees Fahrenheit and they're unfathomably hot, dense cores and they're spinning around more actively than you actually can get your mind around. And yet, there's, there's more stars in the known universe, in other words, what we actually know to be there, than, than there are grains of sand on all the world's, world's beaches and deserts. So uh, check that out. I mean, crazy, right? Uh, I was actually reading a thing this morning that uh, I think John Piper tweeted, and it was someone written about how many molecules are in a drop of water. And it's like something sextillion or something, and it's like in one drop of water. And again, you're seeing this evidence of this magnificent creator. And we've got to find a way to lead to him. So visually, musically, sonically, and maybe above all, using the word of God, right? In our, in our words, and point to him. And, and so we're living in this tension. There's already a tension there, right? Tension's not bad. Piano strings have tension, right? That, that, that's good. You know, can, something good can happen. Um, 
But here's some tensions to be thinking about. The, the, the tension between passion and purpose. So you want your song to explode with passion, but it can't be unguided. It, it has to know where it's going. You, you know, if you're going to just sing some fun stuff down the coffee shop, you, you can be unguided. But when it comes to worship songs and writing songs for the church to sing and writing songs that claim to speak about Jesus, then, then you have to have some purpose to the whole thing and guide it. You know, Bono uh, from U2 has a great quote. He says, you can have a thousand ideas, but unless you capture an emotion, it's just an essay. I love that. You can have a thousand ideas, but unless you capture an emotion, it's just an essay. And then we're not writing essays. So we want passion in there. It has to be in there. The Psalms show us that. There's not a moment in the Psalms where the writer of that song sounds bored about life or bored about God. Everything's full on to the extreme, raw passion. But it has to be guided. It has to be shaped by the Word of God. You've kind of got to be a visionary as a songwriter. You've got to know where you're going. You can't just sit there and, you know, wander about directionless and aimless and maybe six or seven things in a song that don't really quite make sense put together. You've kind of got to know where you're going. So you've got this thing. Because if you get, if you think it out too much and get so much on the side of purpose, you squeeze out the passion. It wasn't the explosion of your heart. It wasn't the overflow of the heart perhaps, right? Maybe it was a very cerebral thing. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, that can help people. Um, way over on the other side, just passion. You know, okay, this is fun. You know, some songs that just say, I'm going to do this for you, God. I'm going to do that for you, God. And now I'm raising my hands and now I'm lifting my feet. Or it doesn't say that, but you know what I mean. Um, now I'm dancing. Or, but it didn't ever tell you why. It didn't ever set, set it up. It didn't ever give it a context. So, this is, so this is, we're living in this tension. Um, second one, spontaneity and hard work. So when I started writing worship songs, I used to think spontaneity was a thing that counted. Some of the early songs I wrote, like a song called Better Is One Day. I literally wrote that in a prayer meeting, stood up, opened Psalm 84, sung it out, because I didn't know what else to sing in that moment, and it became a song real quick. And that happened to me a couple of times. So then I used to think, well, spontaneity means the Holy Spirit's at work. It means God's in it. And I undervalued hard work you know and then I wrote a song actually in California um, blessed be your name wrote that way back just down the road here with my wife and um, you can tell we wrote it in California because it says um, blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me and that doesn't actually happen in England so uh, <laughs> there's a little clue in there right but that song was one had to uh, work real hard on had to contend for a bit and it and then, it, and then it seemed to get momentum and be helpful to people. And, and, and then I realized, okay, so God was just as much at work in that. And so it made me realize the Holy Spirit doesn't mind you getting into some hard work. And in fact, he'll enable you for it. And, and you know, again, you two, one of the members of you two said, sometimes songwriting is like a boxing ring and other times it's like a playground. That's absolutely true, right? Sometimes you're just loving it. It's all flowing, and we wrote a song, 10,000 Reasons. It's just this lovely little moment that this song shows up, and it's pouring out, and a lot of it happened in that moment. It was wonderful. It was like a playground, right? But other songs we've written, they're like boxing rings. You just know there's something there, and you're contending for it, and it's taking some toil and some sweat and maybe even tears, right? And um, so, so you're living between those things. Um, you're living between this whole idea of presentation and nutrition. Um, that's kind of like TV chef terms, right? So, so you, 
often in our culture, in the Instagram culture, we think so much about how things appear, how they look, how they're presented. And that's important when you write a song, thinking about the style of the song, thinking about how accessible it is, how relevant it is, how beautiful it is, you know, musically. That's all important. But as worship songwriters, we have to think about the nutritional value of the song. We have to think about, okay, that looks cool to eat, but if someone eats this because it looks so appealing, is it actually going to do them any good? And songs can disciple and songs can shape people's view of who God is. They can form a Christian, you know. So you've got to be you got to think about this stuff. And, you know, um, there's an interesting fact I was reading about farming, that if you ate like a piece of broccoli now, even if it's like an organic local piece of broccoli, there's a good chance it'll have a lot less nutrients than a piece of broccoli 50 years ago. And that's a lot of the reasons with the way we've overused soil and different modern farming methods. But, you know, it's not quite as nutritious as you think sometimes. I'm not saying don't eat broccoli. Okay, right. But I'm saying uh, eat more broccoli because then you'll get as much <laughs> nutrient. And it's all about the soil it's in, right? So what soil are you planting in as a songwriter? What are, they, what are your songs growing out of? Are you, if you're in the Word of God, the Word of God is going to show up in the songs, right? And we've got to think about the nutritional value of what we, we sing. Um, but at the same time, here's another tension, the content and the digestion. So, so like, in other words, what's in that song? Does it have something theologically sturdy and something that represents God in an honoring way. Um, yes, but can people also digest it? Do they understand it? Is it real to them? Is it relevant to them? Does it meet them where they're at? Uh, do they have to go away to take a Bible study to understand the song? What about someone coming through the doors of the church building for the first time? You know, are they going to get what this is singing about? Um, there's a thing again, in the food world, called a complex carbohydrate. And an example of that would be grass. Now, with grass, you know, if you or I were to go out and eat some grass, uh, we, we wouldn't get any nutritional value out of that um, because we don't have the right enzymes to break it down. But there is nutritional value in it. And if a cow was to eat that grass, a cow would get nutritional value out of it because it has the right enzymes. So it, you can't have to be that when you write a song, someone has to have the right enzymes to break it down. It can't be the only people who've been Christians for 10 years kind of get what you're talking about. It can't be that someone who, who, who's like 50 years old kind of gets this because of the language, but someone who's 15 years old has no clue what's going on here. They can't digest it. They can't break it down. There's truth in there, but they can't get at it, and, and they can't access it. The last one, description and devotion. So another tension you live in when you're right, it's like description, like so you're describing God is, you're telling people who he is. Maybe you're reminding them of something about who he is or what he's done. Um, but you don't want to go describing, describing, describing through the song. At some point you want to get to devotion. Uh, you want to get to a place where, yeah, that's who he is, and now we're going to tell him what we think about that. Now we're going to respond. Now we're going to give people a chance to let the, the reflex of their hearts and souls kick in and, and speak back to him. I think some of the, you know, best worship songs do that. Old song like Here I Am to Worship by my friend Tim Hughes. And you're talking about the God who wraps himself, uh, no, sorry, the God who, uh, who all for love's sake became poor in a, in a verse. And then you're singing Here I Am to Worship. You're describing and then you're devoting. Um, you're, you're having the revelation of God and then you're responding. Uh, Tomlin's song, How Great Is Our God, same thing. Wraps himself in light, darkness tries to hide. It's getting you ready to respond. Uh, so how great is our God? Sing with me 
How great is the God? There's a lovely rhythm, and actually, in the kind of format of a modern song that we so often sing today, that verse-chorus format is supremely helpful for the rhythm of description and devotion, the rhythm of inhale and exhale, breathing in the wonders of God and then breathing out our response in praise. It's, you know, the old hymns didn't have that built in. That's why a lot of the old hymns are so content-heavy, but they don't ever give you a chance to actually tell God what you think about that. So you've got these five verses, which are awesome. I mean, I love hymns. I value them so much. and a vital part of our heritage. But if you could pick one weakness with some of the old hymn format, it would be, yeah, you told me a lot about God. That's lovely. Uh, it's fantastic. You described who he was to me. You drew me in to um, a lovely picture of who Jesus is, but you never gave me a chance to tell him what I think about that. You never gave me a chance to bring my offering in response. I think the best songs, they're both a chapel and a classroom, right? They're a classroom. They teach you something about God, remind you, bring something to mind. Um, but they're also a chapel. They create space for devotion. They create space for the worshiper to, to get on their knees and then pour out their heart. So some little things to think about uh, when you're writing songs. And uh, I'll hand over for, to Jonas for a bit. Thanks, Matt. Good to see you guys. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm actually, I've become, I'm from Sweden, but I am now a Californian. I live up in LA. And um, it's good to be on the right side of the coast. That's what I said to my New York friends. They want me to live on the east side. I'm like, no, the west coast is where it's at. Um, so guys, um, God is good, hey? Like, how grateful are we that we serve a God who's constant, who's with us? And the trial and the testing and the celebrations, he is, he is the same. And um, I think as songwriters, I mean, there's, there's just so much to say. And I think the freedom as writers is that we have to realize that the power of the song is, is not in a format. It's in your heart. It is expressing whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you, the season you're in, authenticity, truth. And I'm just going to talk, I, I have a few points for you guys I just want to share. Um, just really, real practical about songwriting and about the why, uh, the why behind the song. So if you want to take notes, um, the first why that I want to share with you guys is why we write a song. And it is to write a song from seeing. Because if we can't see God, we can't express who he is. So worship starts with seeing. I think you had a beautiful song on Face Down. Worship starts with seeing you, which I love actually, that song. Because it's so scriptural, because it says taste and see that the Lord is good. So we have to taste, and then we can see, and then we can write. So to write a song from seeing. The second one, write a song of meaning. And it's got to mean something to you, you know? Like, it can't just... I've heard a lot of people say, oh, you've got to write for what the church needs to say. And I, I agree with that, and I think that's a really a great thought. But I think for the Lord, what he's really looking for us as worshipers, because that's, at the end of the day, that's what we all are in this room. We're not 
musicians, we're not artists, we're not writers. First and foremost, we are worshipers. And what God is longing for is worshipers in spirit and truth. And to write a song of meaning, to write a song that is has truth, that has authority from you, from your story. Not someone else's story, but from what you're going through and how what you're experiencing in life. That is so powerful. And those songs will resonate with other people. Those songs will end up touching your friends. If they can touch you, they will touch God's heart. Um, the third one. So we have a write a song from seeing, write a song of meaning, write a song for the season. To write a song for the season. And and I think it's this is really key because songs are powerful. Songs can go where sometimes words can reach. A song can transcend, can be a bridge right into someone's heart. And um, to write a song for the season, I think God wants to breathe songs for the season. He wants to breathe songs for the nation, for what's happening right here, right now. Like in America right now, lots of things are changing. Lots of things, the country is in a, in a crazy place. And and this is the time for the songwriters to rise up. This is the time for, for the church to sing. Um, Cornerstone was actually, I started that. It was had been a shooting in Norway. Uh, I was in Sweden at that point and, uh, of time, and, and there had been a shooting, and 80 kids had passed away in a horrific, horrific um, act of terror. And I wasn't thinking about, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a song. I will literally... My heart was weeping. I was so, I felt so sad for what was happening in our country and uh, Norway, which is next to Sweden, which are our neighbors. And literally, I, w- I started singing out this song over them. It was a song of intercession. Uh, and it was, I was just, I had tears. I was just crying and I was just singing out that chorus over them. And Little did I know that that song was going to go to all these places, but it wasn't for it wasn't written for an album or for a conference. It was written as a song of intercession. So write a song for this season, and God will then be able to come and breathe on it if it's if it's in truth. The fourth one, uh, write a song that's leading. So write a song that's leading because at the end of the day, that's what we hear. Because if it's just performance and if it's just about you know, then <laughs> we should be somewhere else. But I guess you guys are here because you actually want to be effective. You want to, you w- you want your ministry to count. Uh, that's why you you turn up here every day because you actually want your life to matter. And and with songs, songs can really matter. And and from a congregational perspective, I think it's so key that we that we realize and that we take the responsibility of actually also taking people by the hand and point them to God. That's what a song can do. And so write a song that's leading them to the throne, leading them to the heart of God. And to keep it, I wrote this down, keep it simple, sincere, sound, and sacred. So keep, it, keep your songs simple, keep them sincere, keep them sound, as keeping them in the truth, keeping them theologically correct, and keep them sacred, set apart, consecrated, devoted, um, keep them spiritual, keep them sacred for the Lord. The fifth one, Write a song that's reaching. So write a song that's reaching out. That is not just internal, but it's also external. That is reaching out, reaching to the heart of heaven, reaching God's heart, and reaching out to people. Because this is the power of music, that it can, it can go where nothing else can go. So, so write songs that are reaching. Write them that touches heaven and that touches earth. 
and write a song that reaches the one. And this is, this is really key, I think. It's, it's so easy as songwriters and as worship leaders and artists to, we're living in a world where there's so much Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and everything is so, it's so easy to compare ourselves. I don't know about you guys, but I sometimes can feel like that. I'm like, ah, oh, you can get discouraged because you just look around and everyone else is doing so much or working so hard and they're doing everything. And, and sometimes you're in a dry season and sometimes you maybe you don't write a lot. And you just go, wow, I don't have a lot to say right now. And those times are as important because it's a life of worship. It's not just songs of worship. It's a life of worship. And to write for the one, I think is that's the key for us songwriters. When we can understand the power of a song for the one, it can reach the millions. And um, another little song story, I was, in, I was on tour in Germany a few years ago, and and I just had um, had the most amazing couple of months, and I actually got to lead one of the guys who was one of the video directors on tour to the Lord. And it was the most beautiful, beautiful story that happened. He just got radically saved on tour. And one day he says, Jonas, I want to get baptized. Can, can you go baptize me? And I'm like, I, I guess. We're in, on tour in Berlin, and I'm like, I have to find a lake. So I had to Google map to find a lake. <laughs> And so we were like, I think that will work. And we kind of drove out and another friend wanted to join. And, and we ended up having the most beautiful afternoon with, with him and another friend who just wanted to, to just say, Lord, I decided to follow you. And I, I just want to commit my life to you. And it was the most beautiful afternoon. And, and on the baptism, we went down in the water and, and, and then we, we came up and I thought, you know, I want to I teach them. He this guy had never grown up in the church. He had never heard a worship song. So, so I thought, I want to teach you an old hymn. And I told him the hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. And no turning back. Maybe you sang that in your baptism. I don't know. But uh, in Sweden, that was always our baptism song. And I was like, as we sang it, and the, the three of us together, it was just so beautiful. Like, God's presence was that so strong. And, and I felt, I'm like, this, these are words that I need to actually sing every day. This is not just something that I want to sing at a baptism. I want to sing the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. I want that to be every day. And, and that night, I ended up writing a chorus called Christ is Enough. Uh, out of the overflow of our day together as brothers, as being, seeing the power of Jesus so real in, in, in my life and, and in these guys' lives. And I thought, wow, what should the bridge be? And then I thought, we should sing <laughs> I Decided Full of Jesus again. And that ended up being the song that I finished with my friend Reuben Morgan and Hillsong. And, and it was for the one. That song again, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it came out of the overflow of me and a couple of friends at a baptism in a lake in the middle of Germany. And there was no Instagram and no Snapchat, no Facebook. It was just us and God. So I would just want to encourage you today with that. I want to leave you with that thought to just be, remember the power the power of one, and that write a song from seeing, write a song of meaning, write a song for the season, write a song that's leading, and write a song that's reaching. Awesome, you guys. So good. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to open up for some Q&A right now, and uh, we're going to start with our first uh, question. So my question was, how do you approach writing a song? Do you have uh, any creative practices like morning writing or like forced writing sessions, kind of like you talk like at the boxing match? 
It's a great question. Um, I have five kids, so just trying to find some space and time, you know. And, uh, yeah, there's moments where I don't feel like it, and I think, like, yeah, let's get down to it and do it. Um, there's other times where I'm desperate to find some time, and I can't quite find that moment. You m but one thing I realized which super helped me was we're actually songwriters. If you kind of feel called to this and other people have been affirming that call on you, um, it can't just be your mum, by the way. It has to be more people than that. Uh, that doesn't count. If other people are affirming that on you, then you've got to take it seriously. And one thing that means is you're a songwriter 24-7. And so you kind of antennae are up, right? And so the whole time, I mean, I honestly, we've been contending for a song, and I woke up at five this morning because my brain was thinking about the lyrics, you know, and I couldn't get back to sleep because I couldn't turn it off. And I was... and. There's something about, you know, you're reading the news and the, something jumps out and the, there could be a song in there. You're hearing a sermon. You think, oh, that's a, that's a, we need a song about this. You're in a conversation. Just a little phrase jumps out. You're reading scripture and there is just this one word and you're like, there's a song in that word. You know, your antennae are up. Now, I may not get every day or some, even every week to sit down with my guitar and start trying to form things and let that flow occur, but the whole time I'm storing up ideas for me mainly words honestly a lot of people it's mainly melody some people are totally 50 50 both but you're storing up all this stuff so then the cool thing is when i get to sit down on my own or more likely with someone like jonas then i've got something to say i've got something to get my teeth into i've got a starter for a song i've got a theme which is living in my heart um you know and uh but you yeah you say because you i think, I think it's like a great that. question because it's i think the word intention uh, just being intentional is really key as as creative people and as writers um, to make sure that our hearts are open. And that's sometimes requires a lot. Some days you might be really not inspired and you feel like I have nothing to say. And you can actually write that too. You know, God, I have nothing to say. And that matters too. So I think it's being intentional about staying just staying open is something that I'm trying to put into practice. And even if that is f five minutes, um, sometimes I have nothing to say and then I'll just write an instrumental and on the piano. And, and for you musicians, you know, I want to encourage you as well. Sometimes you might not have the worst, but you be God's gifted you in music. And that is as important. You know, when David played before the Lord and when he was on his fields and he was just playing for the Lord and then God took him into the castle, and he got to play for Saul, um, and he was able to, to play, and his, it says in the word that his anxiety and his demons, they had to flee, that he got, got lifted of him because of David's playing, and it was just his playing, he didn't even sing, so, so even your playing, sometimes you might have nothing to say, so just being intentional, letting it flow um, in whatever season you're in, I think is the key. I heard someone say once, imagination is like a muscle, and the more you use it, the more you flex it, the stronger it grows. And there's definitely yeah. something in that as well. That Even those moments you think, I didn't get a song, nothing's wasted. I mean, there's the devotional aspect to the time you had, but also just as a creativity side, you were flexing that imagination muscle. You were growing stronger. Next question. Hello. Hello. My name's Cheng. I'm from China. Uh, I have a question, like uh, the Heart of Worship came out in 1998, 
Right. Uh, that makes me sound very old. I was, <laughs> I was five years old when I wrote that. Yeah. So, uh, like, have you, have you ever think of like change the lyrics as you grow in Christ as a worship leader? That's a great question. Wow, is there something wrong with them? <laughs> uh, do you know? It is amazing how many times people do write an email and say, "Can I change the lyrics to your song?" And you're like, well, can I come and dress your baby then? You know, like, what, <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? Can you change the lyrics to my song? Um, that is funny. Um, yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I mean, I think how I answer it's funny. That song, for me, is actually an example of something I haven't really led for years. And then a couple of times recently I've led it again. It feels real to me and it's reminding me and taking me back somewhere that's important for me and um so maybe not but i do have songs where i think oh i wish i hadn't written that or um wish i'd just put that line a little bit different that's just not really as honoring as i'd want it to be or you know there are things but this to be honest is one reason you have to be um in a team so that you don't put stuff out there that hasn't been checked by other people too and but but it's a great question like I wonder how I would write that differently today. I mean, to be honest, I'm writing a couple of songs right now which have a similar heart to them in terms of just trying to like, oh man, things are getting so complicated. There's a lot of production in worship now. There's all these bright lights and big stages. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It can be a wonderful way of expressing the joy that we need to and, and leading us in a culturally relevant way to in worship and that's all super helpful if, it, if it's kept in context right but you know what about this culture we're living in where everything's magnified to look bigger than it is and everything's magnified to, uh, to look a little bit better than it is on Instagram right and you know um, does that creep into worship does that creep into worship leading does that you know, so writing a couple of songs which almost have that same heart of like, Lord, don't let us, for all this great stuff that's happening, don't let it um, ever obscure a great view of you and a great view of what worship should be. Um, thanks for the question. That's great. Okay, my name is Levi. Um, what Bible translations do you guys use for songwriting and which are your favorites? Um, that's a great question. I'll, I'll, I think... Bible translations are sometimes a songwriter's best friend. <laughs> sometimes you're trying to find different ways to say things. You're trying to find a fresh way around an age-old theme, right? Um, a universal theme in a unique way. And, you're all, and then sometimes you get those um, Bible translations like the you know, Parallel Bible. Have you seen that? It's not like a Bible from another universe. It's, it's like a um, <laughs> Bible with like, you know, the... the NIV and the NLT. I thought that was a sandwich, but apparently that's a Bible translation. And, um, and, and you, you've got all these things, and they're kind of helpful. Yeah. So they'll be like in you know, the Gospel of John, like, uh, he must increase, I must decrease. Um, he must become greater, I must become less. One version says, uh, he must become greater and greater, I must become less and less. I think it's like Amplified, right? Um, an old King James, he must wax and I must wane. It's talking about the movement of the moon, right? It's crazy. And you're finding like different ways into saying the same thing. Um, I read the NIV the most. Um, I like reading alongside it a bit of the New Living Translation. 
and delve into the message now and again. I, I find the Psalms, some of the Psalms in the message are supremely inspiring, and then other bits just don't sound poetic enough to me. So I'm kind of dipping in and out of that as a songwriter. Um, I mean, you, yeah, you've I probably got all this Swedish stuff have as well, Swedish right? I think a great example is we wrote a song called Benediction that was, what album was it? Was it on 10,000 Reasons album? Uh, no. We will not be shaken. That. Your grace is fine. Your grace finds me. Um, and we actually end up using a few different translations. So we wanted to write a song that was obviously the blessing, uh, the something that was could be used in a service, but it could also be used singing it over your children. And what we ended up doing, we took, um, I think we used the NIV, and then we used the New King James uh, version. So God's smiling on me, his face is shining. So we ended up actually using a few different translations in the same song. And I thought that was really a lovely, a lovely way of doing it because we got to broaden our language and we got to take the scripture that a lot of people have heard and we got to bring in a different translation uh, into the same song. So that also can be a helpful little tool in your toolbox that you can actually take the <laughs> same scripture but from different translations. So, Hi, I'm Grace. Um, my question is, what is one thing you would tell your younger self that you wish you'd known as a worship leader? It's a great question, Grace, because I think life is full of trial and error. Um, and I think we have to realize that it is a journey. Um, I, became, I became a worship pastor really young, actually. So I had a lot of rookie mistakes. I was 21 when I became worship leader at Hillsong London. And I was like, the pastor just threw me in in the deep end. He goes, Jonas, you got to look after the team now. And I was like, what? No, I'm too, I can't do this. And, and it was an amazing season, but it was really hard. And I think um, I would probably have told myself, because I tried to be everything for everybody. Uh, I just wanted to make everybody proud. I wanted to make God proud. I wanted to make my pastor proud. I wanted to make my parents proud, my team proud. I mean, we we had 300, I was pastoring 300 people at, <laughs> at our team nights. This is a lot of people. That's like a Swedish church, <laughs> the size of a Swedish church. And that was just... That's, in, that's a big one. It's a big church in Sweden, it's true. Um, so I think, I think I would just say um, be fearless, to not have fear of, of man, but fear of God, and um, not be a man pleaser, but be a God pleaser. And because we can't be everything to everybody. Like, I remember we had Mondays off, and I would like, I was still be in the office at like 8 a.m. sending emails. And I was like, I gotta keep going because it's too much to do, and we have to, blah, blah, blah. And I think now I would have gone, Jonas, take a sleep in, relax. God is in control, all is well. Um, so that would be my advice to myself. I try to live by this now, and I, I still, you know, it's a journey. All right, next one. I'm Michaela. Um, how do you practically fight against the potential of pride that comes with being an influential worship leader? That's a great question. Um, I think that you've got to be ruthless with your heart and honest, you know, and there's a lot of forms of pride in a way. In a way, insecurity can even be very similar to pride. You've got your eyes on yourself a lot more than maybe you might be helpful and it's a different form of vanity in a way you know I'm not judging anyone who has that we all have insecure thoughts but you know and then you've got the boastful side and the thinking you're a bit better than you are and I mean 
sometimes it's just a physical thing. If I've got to be part of something real exciting, I try and find a little moment to remind myself who I am, who I'm not, who God is, who it was about. You know, just even the physical posture of actually finding a little space, getting down on your knees, putting your head face to the floor and just telling God, okay, I'm making myself small right now to remind myself that you are great. And I'm, you know, as much as I love partnering in this with you, it's not about me. And um, team is a real important thing. You know, when I travel, I always have team around me, and they're so great at, you know, you can't get away with pretense around team. You can't get away with, um, you know, they'll pull you out. One of my tour managers my brother, and he he's about, a f- he's 10 years younger than me, and he's a foot taller than me, so already there, there's a humiliation built in, you know. <laughs> and uh, I've never beaten him at anything in my life. Literally, I mean, since about the age of eight, he's beaten me at Xbox penalty shootouts, arm wrestles, you know. So it's kind of cool traveling with him. And uh, I've got five kids. They also have a way of bringing you down to ground. Uh, my daughter has a very cheeky sense of humor. You know, I'll be writing some song and I'm so excited about it. And she's like, Oh, Dad, no one over the age of, under the age of 40 is going to be at all interested in singing that, you know. <laughs> She's like, uh, no, it's good. So, um, but I think the thing is you've got to be ruthless. And here's the thing. Most forms of sin in your life, they'll start small and grow big. So if you don't manage them, put them back in place, be ruthless, give your heart a sweep, then they're, they're going to grow. There'll be that snowball effect or something. So whether that be, you know, uh, a pride issue, a lust issue, a coveting issue, whatever that issue is. If you don't keep it under control, you know, so that's, you've got to be ruthless on a daily basis. I think it's so key with Matt saying just relationships um, because it's such a, such a s- sneaky thing. Like, and pride doesn't always have to look like the big outward thing. It can also be a, v- a very small internal thing. Like, uh, but I think relationships... And relationship. I think religion creates pride. I think even like being a martyr, being, look what I'm doing for God, it's for the kingdom. That can also be pride. And the Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. And to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and having that relationship with Him, like, I think that keeps us in check because He actually is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. So He will, if we keep our hearts soft before Him, He will humble us because He disciplines the ones He loves. And it's a funny story. Just a few months ago, I, w- I was praying, and it was a really sincere, s- sweet prayer. And I'm like, I was praying for the nations <laughs> one morning. And I'm like, God, I pray for the nations. And I'm like, send the songs to the ends of the world. And I'm like, God, the nations. And I've been renovating my house uh, right now. And I felt the Lord say, Jonas, you got the nations in your house. You've got these dudes from all of Latin America upstairs working. Why are you praying for the nations? Start, start <laughs> loving on those guys. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, good point. And I'm like, God, how can I reach them? And what the Lord said was, serve them. Serve them. And I was like, okay. And I, I, <laughs> I thought, how, how can I serve them? You know, they barely speak English. Tell them about the dinner party. Oh, yeah. So I ended up, actually, what I ended up doing was I ended up inviting them all and their wives for a dinner party um, at my house. And 
they were shocked first of foremost I'm like why are we being invited we and I said I we just want to say thank you to you guys I want to honor you for helping me renovate my house and literally what happened was when Alfredo is I mean these guys are the coolest they've been so faithful and when Alfredo walked into the door of my house uh, he broke down crying weeping in my arms actually and and he says this is the first time I've ever been invited to someone's house in for 15 years in America and uh, it was just such a moment where I realized that this is church as well this is you know this was a moment where I got to just set the table I just served them food and we just had a beautiful night of just hanging out and 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 I think those little moments, those Holy Spirit moments, like that was God wanting to. Actually, I could so end up being so blessed by, by, by them and their families, and they they become such dear friends. Actually, they a couple of days later they had all rocked up at the house, and they surprised me. They had a huge gift basket from Guatemala and with Guatemalan food that Miguel's grandmother had made, and it was just that one of the guys had surprised me building an outdoor bed. I mean, it was it was this amazing friendship of kindness and. So I think just that relationship, you have no idea when the Holy Spirit whispers something. But be obedient, dare to try, dare to act it out. All right, last question. Hi, I'm Amber. Um, while singing and worshiping, do you ever have the battle of doubts going through your mind, and what do you do about them? That's a great question, yeah. Um, I think we all have at times where, whether we're on a stage or off a stage, where we, you know, we've got facing some doubt we were looking at scripture today where you know this guy says lord i believe help my unbelief i mean what a powerful thing it's like lord i believe i'm making a statement i but i still got these moments where it's kind of you know crazy and, and and i think that in those moments whether it be some struggle or stress in your life whether it be anxiety whether it be you know some kind of outward pressure like that or, or whether it be a moment of like I don't quite get this thing Lord and it's taking you to a place where faith isn't strong those are the moments for choice those are the moments where worship you know because worship obviously is not about our feelings um, it involves feelings but it starts at a place of decision it starts at a place of choice a place of intention a place of um, putting a stake in the ground saying I don't get life today I don't get why this thing happened I don't get why I'm going through this. It's gone. This season's gone on way too long than what I think I could imagine it was going to go on. But right now, I'm putting a stake in the ground. I'm saying, God, I believe you. I, you know, it's not a vacant belief. It's a, it's a belief based on me looking back through Scripture and seeing how time and time again you rescued, even at the last moment. Time, how you restored and repaid and replenished and rejuvenated situations which seemed like they were totally over, you know. Or times where you made a plan for your people um, in such a beautiful, powerful, poignant way. That so my faith is built on that. Day. It's built on my life. I, you know, looking back and seeing your faithfulness on every page, seeing that even in the times where I thought you were distant or absent, actually you were way more close and involved than I ever knew. And actually, you've even made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. You brought something good out of that now. And so when you stand in those times of of uh, you know uh, indecisiveness or doubt or fear or anxiety or struggle with some kind of pressure or stress that you're facing those are the times that mark you out more than anything else what kind of worshiper are you 
You know, uh, in, in some seasons of the year, every tree is green, right? But it comes to winter, you get to find out which trees are evergreen. And it's the same thing with the worshippers, that it's in those seasons of winter, the dark night of the soul, that's when you figure out what kind of worshipper you really are. Anyone can really find their place to the way of, uh, their way to the place of praise when everything's going swimmingly and life's all joy and laughter and fun. But what about those moments where nothing makes sense? What about those moments where you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to hang in there? What kind of worship are you in those moments? You know, and, and I, think, I think that defines us more than anything else, right? Um, that's a great question. Thank you. And that wraps up our songwriting session at the School of Worship with Matt Redman and Jonas Myron. And man, what a great time hearing their heart and insight into songwriting and how they approach that, that gift and that craft. Um, it was such a good time. Yeah. All the feedback that we got from every student there was just, they were so extremely blessed. Yeah. So if you are, you know, somebody who would be uh, interested in um, taking nine months out of their life mm-hmm. to just grow in some of the things that you might have just heard in this broadcast, then uh, we would invite you to check out School of Worship at schoolofworship.net. And if you want to catch their actual um, video content from that session, you can actually watch it at calvarychapel.com and you just search for Matt Redman and you'll yep. find that that session there um, in video format. Yeah. And also remember, if you're interested in coming to the Calvary Chapel Worship Leaders Conference, that's going to be um, held November the 6th to the 9th at the beautiful Marietta Hot Springs Conference Center. And you can find more information at ccwlc.org. And Matt Redmond's going to be there uh, leading in worship and sharing that week. So really excited for him to be there. We'd love for you to join us if you can make it out for that time. You can bring your worship team, your tech team, uh, anybody that would be connected to the worship ministry. I know they'd be blessed and encouraged. Many workshops that that will be taught and great main session uh, teaching and times of worship. So really excited for that week coming up. But uh, thank you so much for joining us today here on Pure Worship Radio. We hope that you were encouraged by our time spent together. May God continue to bless and keep you as you live your life of worship, responding to the grace of God. Hey, this is Scott Cunningham, the host of the Pure Worship Radio Show and worship pastor here at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And I wanted to personally invite you to the 2017 Calvary Chapel Worship Leaders Conference happening November 6th to the 8th. We're so excited to have Matt Redman joining us this year. And as you know, Matt's written so many timeless songs for the church, like 10,000 Reasons and so many more. Pray about bringing your whole team for time of being refreshed, encouraged, and equipped for ministry. Group rates are available, so go to ccwlc.org. That's ccwlc.org, and we really hope to see you there.